Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on bad times. Brought to you by Royal Holloway's Shakespeare Society. You join me, Cassie Dixon. And me, Jack Hardman, as we bear some bardy truths. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bard Times. Uh, this is your host Jack Hardman and with me today is Meadow Capon. Say hello Meadow. Hi. Amazing. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. I, I feel like I've waited my whole life to be on Bard Times. This is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear it. Um, so obviously you're on today to talk about uh your show measure for measure the show you are directing for our own wonderful shakespeare society but uh before before that i want to talk about you for a little bit so meta you're you're one of the most widely experienced people uh we have had on the show when it comes to uh dealing with different roles uh, on shows, different crews, and, and generally being on committee and stuff like that. Uh, you've been first year rep of Shakespeare. You're currently the vice president. You are also the president-elect of Shakespeare. <laughs> um, you are an actor. You've worked as a polo, as an events producer, and now as a director. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, how do you generally deal with that? responsibility and how do you deal with uh, kind of the the any kind of stress that that then leads to you find things you enjoy and for me I've always wanted to be involved in the creating things and making the decisions it's like you know someone out there is making the decisions about something I'm enjoying why can't that be me and it yes it's a lot it's a lot of responsibility um but it's so rewarding because you get to look back at it and think, you know, especially for me coming in as a fresher, I really looked up to people in committee positions and directors. I, yeah, I, I really looked up to them. I, wa I wanted to be that. And now I, I get to kind of look at myself and be like, huh, I did get there. Like it's, it's not impossible. And although it does bring moments of stress, you know, it's, it, you're busy and, and it, you have to be organized and on it a lot of the time. It's, it's so worth it. And I think it's so important to remember that you do this for fun yeah. <laughs> like as, as much as it can be a lot. And as, as much yeah. as there is quite a lot of work to do in it, it is for fun. It's for the fun of the members and the committee. I, I, that's such a good point. That is such a good point. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. It's something that I've definitely be, been guilty of before is is kind of just throwing everything in. And ultimately, we are students and we need to remember that, you know, we need to set some time aside for the thing that we're actually all here for, which is our degrees. Exactly. Um, you forget sometimes. But... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I completely agree. I think that is a really important reason why why we do this. And it's what we need to remember. Otherwise, you know, we do just you do just find yourself sometimes forgetting that and then yeah why you're doing the things you're doing yeah exactly it's so easy to get burnt out especially when you're mm. juggling with this with your degree um but yeah it's just a key thing to remember yeah. it's just it is for fun we are we are doing this for ourselves so don't get caught up in the stress of it it's not worth it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i i couldn't agree more so as well as directing this year, you've also been uh, talking about Measure for Measure for for a, for a while. Uh, I think I think. <laughs> a bit um, here and there. <laughs> but I wanted to I wanted to ask you what kind of drew you to the play in the first place. 
Man, so much. So <laughs> I, well, the thing is, I studied it in A-level, my A-level English literature. And when I first started studying it, I remember my mum's my an English teacher and I used to go home to her and I used to say, why are we doing measure for measure? Of all the plays I could have chosen, why measure for measure? I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't like the characters. I didn't, I thought, you know, the story, it, it could have been so good. It, it was the way it was done. I found out that, you know, when I first started studying it, I watched uh, the Globe production and I didn't get it. Um, and then I was introduced to the Cheek by Jowl version, um, which was set in Russia, done in the Russian language. Um, right. And it was, it took much of measure and it made it really dark. <laughs> like right. the, the color schemes, like everything from the lighting to the color schemes to the actual content, everything was much darker. All the kind of bawdy scenes you see with the prostitutes and the pimps. And I found myself actually enjoying it that way. I finally fell in love with it. I went from really disliking it to completely falling in love with it. And I think yeah. Measure for Measure, although we kind of say it about every Shakespeare play, I think Measure for Measure is the one that, for me, it's the one that is most relevant to today with the hashtag yeah. Me Too movement. And, you know, it has such complex characters. I mean, Jack, you're playing one of them. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you can talk a bit about that. But, um... <laughs> yeah. I mean, An Angelo is is a a really horrible, horrible person, but also a great character kind of how he is written as an antagonist he's a really interesting character i i, I just yeah the play is great because it takes a deeper look into what makes a person mm -hmm. who is hyper religious has a very black and white moral gradient and and that that that's fascinating to uh to me and why i mm. why i think he's a great character and why i'm very grateful that that i'm playing him Cool. So uh, talking about your concept, could you give us a rundown as to what your concept is and why you chose to explore the text through this specific lens? Yeah. So as I said earlier, I was always much more drawn to Measure for Measure when it was performed in a more tragic context, because technically it's a problem play, um, but I think it works much better in the context of a tragedy. Um, so I always, always knew I wanted to, um, if I were to direct it, I wanted to, um, yeah, do it with that sort of darker undertone. Um, and I actually, I started working on the show back in last spring term. And right. I think Jackie might remember me talking about it uh, when we yeah. were first years. Um, but obviously back then we thought it was going to be in person. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was sort of, it was the same tone. Um, but when I discovered that we did have to do it online, I tried kind of I tried to hold on to the in-person one for as long as possible. Then I was like, I can't direct in my third year. So um, I knew I had to change it to an online setting. Um, but when I when I knew I had to do that, I knew I kind of had to let go of my old concept because I wanted, if it was going to be online, I wanted it to be deliberately online. Um, I kind of wanted to use that medium as a tool rather than hindrance i think that is a really really good point and i think it's something Thank that you. the best shows on campus this year have utilized properly yeah yeah exactly so that's exactly what i wanted to do is just kind of 
use that online setting and make it a thing rather than just we're in a pandemic we need to do theatre online yeah um so I was kind of brainstorming ways in which I could still do the kind of dark concept of measure for measure but make it a deliberately online production um and it kind of came to me that we could do it as um a documentary and make it it um, eventually became a crime documentary in the style of the Netflix crime documentaries are pretty popular right now um but yeah I, I had this idea was firstly for um act two scene two where no act two scene four where um Angelo and Isabella have their confrontation and I thought hmm, I, I wonder if we could do that as if it were in a workplace and kind of the footage has been found or something and then that kind of spiraled into ha huh, what if we did the whole thing as if it were a crime documentary then we could have the interviews and then it spiraled more into this modern day context so basically essentially what the concept is is it's modern day the duke has died um afterwards isabella and uh and a few other people come forward with their stories about how the duke manipulated them and what the duke was like and so the original play is the dramatic recreations of the crime documentary and then that is kind of um divided up with interviews with the characters but that's all in modern day speak um mm. so yeah essentially that is a concept and it's kind of framing the duke as the villain obviously angelo is still a terrible person and we don't sure. brush over that at all sure. um but uh to me a, a key way of me enjoying the play was kind of this thought of the duke is the mastermind behind this yeah i i think the idea of doing a crime drama is so great as well because it means that it, it, it not only does it mean that we can have interview sections which are when you it's just you and a camera in a room normally it feels weird but when it's already an interview mm -hmm. that feels perfectly normal and so doing <laughs> it as that makes perfect sense uh the i think all of the societies have done a really good job but on i don't think normally in a year, Shakespeare turns out four shows as well as, you know, uh -huh. a podcast series as well as um, multiple uh, yeah. like D&D series as well as the uh, academic workshops that mm. we do as well as all the socials that we've done. Um, I think if anything, and it's, it's weird to say, but if anything, we've done more in this year when we can do less because yeah. it's forced us to innovate and to do new Absolutely. stuff exactly I think it's been it, it's not always been a negative you know COVID because we've sure. done so so much more with it uh, we've been forced to as you said you know motivation follows action you know sure. it's kind of counterintuitive but you know you have to take the action then you realize oh people are enjoying this like you yeah. know starting up our times this year is kind of a big project but you know it's, it's great fun and we've had loads of success with it and yeah and then you're motivated to do it more so I think having the passion to start up things like this and your D&D &D events as well which is something completely mm. new but have been really popular yeah. I think that just it stems from your passion of D&D &D and Shakespeare I, I I could I couldn't agree with you more the yeah motivation is a really hard thing to cultivate 
when you're starting new things. I, I myself am starting up an organization, a group uh, with a few of uh, my friends, Royal Holloway, um, and the motivation to get that started is so hard to even get like the first few steps done but the more you do the more you want to do i i feel pretentious even saying it but you know the old adage of every journey starts with a single step it's um, not wrong. yeah it's not wrong it's not wrong <laughs> do a little thing get a little book and a do little a little book. thing it all starts with a little book i'm telling it all you it starts with a little book <laughs> that's oh i want that on a t-shirt we should get matching t-shirts. We should get matching t-shirts for that one. <laughs> Incredible. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so are there any red flags that you can think of uh, from, uh, I don't know, experience that when someone is demonstrating them, you can kind of tell that maybe they aren't the person mm that uh well they need to work on these things in order to kind of avoid uh i don't know being mm. not so great a leader <laughs> yeah um i think what makes you struggle as a leader is having a lot of self-doubt um because mm. as a leader you you need your team to be able to believe that you can do it you know so if, if you can't believe that you can do it no one else is going to believe you can do it and i think even if sometimes you do have that self-doubt, putting on the front of confidence, you know, acting like your confidence will allow confidence to follow. Um, so I think that's kind of the first thing I say is having self-doubt can be really detrimental to yeah. good leadership. Um, it's also yeah. completely natural, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. obviously it, it makes sense for you to feel doubt. Oh, when completely. You're I do all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, same. Like, it's, um, I think this is something that uh, the co host of this podcast, Cassie, and I have talked about previously is mm. uh, when we were starting this up, we were really like, not not concerned but there was obviously some doubt there as to how successful bad times was going to be yeah uh, we definitely didn't see ourselves making you know 30 odd episodes uh, and yeah it, it's perfectly natural but i completely agree with you letting that then show especially in front of your team mm. will destroy you yeah no, absolutely. No, I'm not, you know, self-doubt isn't a, isn't a bad thing. You know, having self-doubt shows that you care, but don't let that kind of overwhelm you um, and yeah. kind of impact the way you lead others um, because your team is so important to how you will run a society, whatever it is you're running. So if your team don't have confidence in you, it, as you said, it's all, it's all going to tumble from there. So yeah. Really, even in the moments where you're not feeling it, um, try as best you can to to believe that you can do it and, and the rest will follow. Yeah, um, you may be the brain, but they are the legs, arms, lungs, stomach, heart. Yeah. If, if all of that isn't working properly, you, you're not going to go anywhere on Completely. your little squishy legs. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so... my little squishy legs. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely especially found that for Measure for Measure because although it was something that I've been thinking about for a long time, 
oh my god I wouldn't have been able to do it without my team Absolutely. like they have taken my initial vision and they've elevated it to such an extent that I wouldn't have been able to think of it on my own or do everything on my own like never so yeah Absolutely, for that reason yeah. I I think I have to kind of lead with the same enthusiasm and courage that they have otherwise what's the point of me <laughs> why am I here that's um, fair <laughs> existential and yeah. terrifying no exactly but fair. <laughs> um yeah which kind of leads me on to my next point is that as a leader you need to kind of have an idea of what everyone else is doing um as i said the team is so important you have to show interest in every aspect of that team um because again without the team you you wouldn't be the society or the company or whatever you you are uh, so I think having a base knowledge of every aspect of the team and and keeping in consistent contact with them and being enthusiastic about their achievements as well, you know, um, you know, even though, for example, I know nothing about editing. <laughs> I really, truly know nothing. Um, but if Vicky would come to me with like a shot of something, I'll be like, yeah, girl, <laughs> be like that's amazing. Uh, I know nothing. But the fact that you can do it and you are, you know, working so hard uh, for this team uh, makes mm. me really proud and fills my heart with joy um so it's yeah. important to also show that show your appreciation for the rest of the team as well um and yeah i and i think again that leads me kind of on onto my last point is that you really need to listen to those around you because although you are the leader and although you may have been elected you may have been hired whatever that may be you have everyone around you for a reason. And as I said, although I might be the director, I am not well-versed in everything. I, again, sure. I know nothing about editing. I know nothing about publicity. Um, so I will take on like Abby's ideas for the publicity because I know she's far more experienced in that than I am. Um, mm -hmm. So even though I might be the one making the last calls, I will respect her opinion, you know, yeah, far I mean, more than I respect my own yeah, about publicity. There's, there's only so much one brain can hold. And so mm -hmm. if everyone is has different kind of area of expertise, I mean, Theo, in terms of organizing things, is 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 the organizer, um <laughs> secretary of <laughs> secretary of Shakespeare, of DSM of every show uh, that has ever been made. Um <laughs> and and uh yeah and and so i think yeah i couldn't agree more like it has to absolutely come into it the the ability to listen um i think it's something that i i've realized a lot more over this year particularly working with cassie who is incredible oh and just just a fountain of knowledge <laughs> uh, just a fountain of knowledge so there's so yeah no, like working with her um on this it is really interesting to see what uh i've stolen uh from her <laughs> in terms of, in terms of yeah yeah which is i mean we're in a professional circumstance is what mostly <laughs> listening is it's just stealing from other people exactly um in the nicest possible way it's a it's form a of flattery mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly now talking about stealing other people's ideas uh-huh let's go on to the news by the way that was me the uh, stealing the idea of a new section 
it's the topic of adaptations, adaptations from the stage to film, specifically about uh, the recent adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen that dropped its trailer uh, just the other day, probably about a week ago by the time this uh, episode comes out. Um, and then also the other kind of musical adaptations that have come out. So I wanted to ask you... Uh, where you stand on kind of musical films and why you think some of these uh, films haven't met a kind of uh, the audiences and the critics expectation of them and why they've flopped like they have. Mm, yeah. So I think because, you know, back when Hollywood was old Hollywood, mm-hmm. musicals were the big thing. Musicals were the draw and you had, the stars, the the Hollywood stars were often from musicals and they would be part of the draw. Now we've kind of followed in the same footsteps, but now that our stars are, you know, <laughs> late night show hosts <laughs> and, um, you know, straight actors, um, not musical actors, essentially, um, yeah. it doesn't work in the same way. I think because musicals, although they are extremely popular, are still sort of a niche a niche thing, you yeah. know? I mean, in yeah. terms of being able to act in them, I, for one, have been in a few musicals mm. and I can't dance at all. <laughs> uh, it's like watching a, a baby deer on ice. Like, the idea that just because someone can act or can sing, can do all three, or can dance and can act or can act or can sing and dance and then to expect them to be able to act is is a uh is is somewhat of a fallacy and they are separate skills despite the fact they're kind of everyone in musical theater is expected to be this like triple threat yeah absolutely so you know we've 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 followed in the same footsteps you have you know the the stars of the day were judy garland your fred astaire um and now we still have those stars, um, but then they're not musical actors, and yet mm-hmm. they are put in musicals. And because musicals are still quite niche, um, and you know, it it doesn't really translate in the same way. Um, sure. I think I think they're falling into the trap of of getting a big name to draw audiences that might not otherwise be interested in the musical. But by doing that, you're firstly not appealing to those people because they wouldn't be that interested in musicals anyway. And then you're not appealing to the people who would be interested in the musicals because what they want to see is a musical people actor. People who can <laughs> sing, dance, <Yeah>. and dancing. Yeah. <laughs> they want to see um, a musical being executed well. Um, and that's sadly not always by the big names. Two good examples of casting in films that I don't know how good they are yet because they've not come out. So we, <laughs> we're, we're still waiting on them are yeah. actually, despite the fact he's a bit old to play a teenager, um, Ben Platt in Dear mm-hmm. Evan Hansen, because obviously we know for a fact he can do it. And then, of course, the other one is uh, Anthony Ramos, who was in the original cast of Hamilton mm. and is now playing the lead in In the, the Heights. Heights. In the mm. Heights is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, obviously, two musical actors who have a lot of uh, acclaim playing roles that they are absolutely 
suited to and well suited to yeah. and and that is that's great and it's honestly part of the reason why i want to see uh in the heights quite so badly yeah that, yeah not despite the fact it is one of my favorite musicals but if they cast someone like i mean if they cast someone like a certain tv show host <laughs> um as that character that would be problematic in a whole different reason. Oh, oh um but the but um you know if someone who wasn't well suited to that part i'd be a lot less eager to go see it because i wouldn't want to see something that i love and i enjoy kind of ruined or, or yeah or being butchered <laughs> slandered in in some kind of way mm. um whereas seeing someone who is clearly extremely capable uh having a thwack at it i'm, I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm big up. No, exactly. And and I think, you know, movie movie musicals, as much as some modern ones have their faults, are extremely important because at least for me, that was what got me into musicals. Was yeah. the although now I can look back at these musicals, knowing musicals better and can criticize them. At the time, being new to them, I fell in love with Lamez and La La Land and you know, I think and even Mamma Mia. I know you might have your your opinions about Mamma Mia. <laughs> I think it is a fun film. No, but that's the thing. That is my point. Yeah, it's, you it's know, fun. Yeah. The key to Mamma Mia is that it doesn't take itself seriously at sure. all. And, you know, and I'm pretty sure like... the entire cast was drunk while filming. Well, exactly. You're not there to watch them, you know, uh, whack out a power ballad. You're there to watch them <laughs> have fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um... I think something like Cats, which did actually take itself quite seriously, um, that can be alienating to both someone who isn't into musicals and someone who is into musicals. Um, yeah, especially when uh, the actual visuals of it are the some of the campiest oh, things they could have come up yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's, it's hard. Lamez is a really good example because that is, that is something that the idea of we want to take Lamez quite a, like quite a realistic musical as far as musicals go um, mm. and, and putting it into a, um, like a physical world that we are actually going to build most of. Mm. Great, yeah. amazing. Uh, there are obviously some shortcomings to that film, um, but a lot of the good bits are about the fact that you actually really feel the atmosphere and the visuals are really great. Yeah, and it's because that is paired well with the film and Mamma Mia. As much as I have my opinions about it, the idea of like a brilliant, bright uh, kind of Greek island uh, in the way that they did it with lots of white and blue, um, fitting with this bright, cheery songs from ABBA is a perfect, is a match made in heaven. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's great. And the it fits the vibe. But, you know, mm. having uh, bright cat people who are basically <laughs> just people in like lycra suits? Yeah, that scares uh, everyone. <laughs> while, while I mean, terrifying. Full stop. But yeah, I think I think I think that's a really good point. Uh, kind of being able to match uh, expectations of people or of of the people that are going to watch it will mean that the people who might not necessarily want to watch it 
will then watch it because mm-hmm. their friends have been going on about how, how great it is. But I also think things like uh, The Greatest Showman, for instance, mm-hmm. one of the, I think, one of the biggest soundtracks to a film ever. Absolutely. How wild is that? Yeah. Like, how... the. And it's because they were like, okay, what do musical theatre kids like? Yeah, no, absolutely. So they kind of combined that the classic musical theatre elements with the modern day sounding music, the kind of pop chart sounding music, which ended up appealing to both people who might not usually watch musical theatre and those who do usually enjoy musical theatre. Whereas something like Cats, in my opinion, tried to appeal um to to more and ended up appealing mm-hmm. to far fewer than yeah on that note <laughs> <laughs> we gotta wrap this up um thank you so much for coming on thank you show, meadow um as per usual i have to ask you a difficult question although i think i already know the answer what is your favorite shakespeare show oh man this is so tough um Got to be measure for measure. Yes, yeah. I figured it. Be measure for measure. <laughs> I, I, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Every academic discussion group, I will get it in there. It doesn't have to be about measure <laughs> for measure, but I will raise my hand and I will talk about measure for measure. Um, <laughs> and I think I've kind of, I've kind of told you the reasons why I love it. <laughs> yes. No, I think we've covered um, this. Yeah. I still have to ask. I'm contractually obliged. I'm not contractually. <laughs> it's absolutely no problem. To you all. So, thank you everyone for joining me this week for Bard Times. This has been Jack Hardman and Meadow Capon. Stay safe, and in the words of the Bard himself, we know what we are, but know not what we may be. <laughs> <laughs>